Okay, let's take our Bibles this morning and we're turning back to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10. And I'll probably be spending another message beside this one on this particular uh, portion of Scripture. I must admit that this is a very difficult portion of Scripture. Um, sometimes when you go to study, you wrestle with the text, and sometimes the text wins, and sometimes you win, but it's very uh, difficult. Um, so this morning, I'd like you to really take your Bibles and, and look at it, all the passages that I'm going to go to, because I'm trying to establish what is being said here by the Lord to his disciples. So let's pray. Lord, this morning, as I approach this passage of Scripture, I ask you, Lord, that you would give help uh, to your servant as I lay out the text before us. I pray that you would give us understanding um, of what you say here. And I pray, Lord, that you would adjust adjust our thinking uh, on this matter. I pray that you would also drive the wisdom of the world far from us concerning this matter. And I pray, Lord, that we would start again looking at the institution of marriage and the way you created it and designed it. Uh, for, we, Lord, for, Lord, we know it's one of the greatest institutions um, on this side of eternity that you have established because it it's allows us as a man and a woman to be in a relationship closer than any other relationship a human being could have on this earth. But it also, Lord, shows us about the relationship that you have with us and you have with uh, your church and we have with you. So, Lord, I pray that our marriages would become a picture of how Christ loves the church. We know, Lord, imperfectly, but I pray that that would be the direction of our life. And, Lord, thank you, Lord, that you rescue us even where sin has destroyed this institution. And you provide forgiveness of sin because of what Christ accomplished on the cross. And I I just ask you, Lord, that you would just bring healing if that's the case in some people uh, in their lives. And I pray, Lord, though, today uh, they would have the mind of Christ concerning the matter maybe for the first time ever. And I pray this in your name. Amen. All right, so Mark chapter 10, I would like to read verse 1 through 12 and get the whole context here. Mark chapter 10, verse 1, getting up, that's Jesus, he went from there to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. Crowds gathered around him again, and according to his custom, he once more began to teach them. Some Pharisees came up to Jesus, testing him and began to question him whether it was lawful for a man to divorce a wife. And he answered and said to them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. And Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male And female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother 
and the two shall become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. In the house, the disciples began questioning him about this again. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she herself divorces her husband and marries another man, she is committing adultery. Now, the last time looking at this text, we learned that it is God's intention that marriage be a lasting relationship. Nothing is to break the one flesh union of the husband and wife. Jesus said in verse 9, What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. So this is God's original intention in marriage before the fall of man into sin and before man's heart was hardened by sin. The problem that entered into this world after the fall was the hardness of men's hearts. That is, a person who does not want to obey God's design for marriage. So because of the hardness of heart, Jesus says in verse 5, he wrote, Moses wrote this commandment. Now, with hard-hearted people, what they think of marriage is that it's some probationary, uh, probationary experiment in which they conclude if it works out fine, if it, it doesn't work out, well, that's too bad, we, we tried. Of course, that particular mindset is not only twisted, but it is incorrect. Uh, it is the incorrect way of looking at marriage. It is not a disposable institution uh, designed by uh, just to be thrown away at whim of a particular person or persons. See, the Lord's disciples are to have their mind changed on this matter. Uh, they are to look upon marriage as an institution that is irrevocable, is in, indissoluble, and is a permanent union between a man and a woman. So every effort needs to be put in to make a marriage work, no matter how hard it may be in the good times and the bad times. It is not that we just tried everything and it doesn't work. So it was a union that they, nor anyone else, should break. That's the point that the Lord is making. And remember, the Pharisees, The enemies of Christ brought up that question. And also, the distortion of marriage was so twisted in uh, this day, as well as in our own day, that it had to be corrected by the Lord, especially for those who now are newly converted to Christ, and especially for those who are going to be his 12 apostles. They're going to have to go out and teach what is right. And they're not only going to have to teach what is right, they're going to have to live what is right. That's the very important thing. So Jesus is asked this question, of course, remember from last time, he was, they asked him the question so they can trip him up, so they can find something wrong in his answers, so they can 
condemn him in something. But, and his disciples are standing by and they're listening. So what we see that's going on next is in verse number 10, if you notice, it says, in the house, the disciples began questioning him about this again. In other words, the subject of divorce was laying on their minds. And so the Pharisees are gone now. And now Jesus is now back in a home with his disciples privately, and they bring it up again. Now, Jesus didn't tell the crowd what he's going to tell them. He's telling his disciples, if you want to know the truth about what this institution is and how it's to be lived out, then you must hear me. So in other words, Jesus' disciples privately inquire of him about the question about divorce. So Jesus gives a judgment on the Jewish practice of divorce. Jesus was not setting the Pharisees straight in this case. He was setting his disciples straight on the matter. They needed to reject the present teaching on this important matter so that the disciples could understand it correctly. And as I said, to live out its implication and to teach it to others in their future ministries. See, the Pharisees got so far away from God's original blueprints for marriage that Jesus had to be abrupt with his disciples. He had to be direct with his his disciples. And he had, in other words, shoot from the hip on this particular subject. Because if they are going to be salt in this world, their their view of marriage must be divorced from the present inaccurate view and be replaced by the original tension God gave in the beginning. So you can see that the disciples were struggling with what Jesus has been saying about marriage. Which really, which really conflicted with their present understanding in the day in which they lived. Not only in the political, social realm, but also in the religious realm. This was coming down from the top, uh, of, from the religious leaders of Israel. And they got it wrong. They had twisted into something it should never have been. And so if you notice in verse number 10, it says, In the house of the disciples began questioning him about this again, and he said to them, look at what he says, very direct, whoever divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And then in verse 12, if she herself divorces her husband and marries another man, she is committing adultery. Now, That's pretty direct. Matter of fact, that is shocking what he says here. In order for the church to prevent rampant adultery, they must keep the original pattern for marriage set by God in the beginning. If you look closely at our passage, the problem is not divorce. The problem is remarriage. 
if a person gets divorced, that is one thing. But if that divorced person gets remarried, now, for what Jesus is going to say here and why he says this, I'll explain. I'm going to take the rest of the message to explain it. Because, believe me, uh, there are 15 different interpretations, at least if you read people on it, on this passage. And I could not, I, I had to just stick with the text and forget reading everything else. Uh, see, in other words, if that divorce is other than for a permitted biblical reason and that person gets remarried, it causes rampant adultery to be committed. So God's design in marriage is not to be altered by human understanding or human failure. The words of Jesus are not only shocking to his disciples, they are shocking to us as well. If you are going to be honest with this text, the thought of serious discipleship is still the thrust of Mark, the Gospel of Mark, and in Mark chapter 10, verses 1 through 12, that thrust is still there. So, in other words, the the fundamental force is the sacredness of the marriage bond as intended and instituted by God in the beginning. That's the force of the text. Jesus presents marriage not on the grounds of its dissolution, but on the grounds of its architectural design and God's purpose. Commentator James Edwards put it well, and he said this, the question in our day of impermanent commitments and casual divorce is whether we as Christians will hear the unique call of Christ in discipleship in our marriages. In marriage, as in other areas to which the call of Christ applies. See, in other words, will we seek relief in what is permitted or commit ourselves to what is intended by God and commanded by Christ? Will we fall away in trouble and difficulty, or will we follow Jesus in the costly journey of discipleship, even in our marriages? See, will we put asunder the divine union of the two, become one, or will we honor and nurture marriage as a gift of God and the creation of God? See, that's what's at stake in this text. It's a correcting what was being not only taught, but lived out in the culture. And secondly, it's a correction for the disciples who are going to have to teach this later on, that no, this is God's view of marriage and divorce and remarriage. All right? So... Let me go back for a minute, and I'd like you to take your Bibles and turn to Deuteronomy chapter 24, and then I'll come back again. We're going to be in the Old Testament for a while because I want to establish something that I think is the correct interpretation of what Jesus is saying. All right, in Deuteronomy chapter 24, 
in verse 1 through 4, I mentioned this last time in our text because the the excuse me, the Pharisees, their question came out of this particular part of Scripture. So what did, we, just reviewing what Moses was supposed to teach on this passage. Right? See, Moses said in this passage that if the husband should find in his wife some uncleanness, he could put her away, giving her a writing of divorcement. The Mosaic legislation was ultimately to control this, uh, this procedure, this permission. Right? So three principles came up in Deuteronomy 24. The first one is it is limited to a certain cause. And if you notice what it says, in other words, Moses, uh, it says, when a man takes a wife, this is Deuteronomy 24, verse 1, when a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her. Now, last time I said that the uncleanness was some vile, dirty, shameful, unappropriate conduct, some embarrassment, some disgrace, some displeasure that it caused to the husband. But it did not seem in first reading to be adultery because if it was, the death penalty would be incurred, like it says in Leviticus chapter 20 in verse number 10. Also, the husband had to prove and establish it before witnesses. Now, my question is, is that the case or is there something else? All right? I want to keep a little doubt in your mind there. Right, because of where I'm going. A second thing in the principle of Deuteronomy 24, verse one, number one, is that if a man divorces his wife, he must give her a bill of divorcement. Notice what it says in verse one. And he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out from his house. All right, so this was, of course, established to protect the woman. So when she went out into the community, when she went back out into wherever she would live, she can show people and prove to the people that she was dismissed according to the law of Moses. All right? Now, that means that the woman would not be looked at in the wrong way. See, the woman would be released from the marriage for some indecency in her, some uncleanness, uh, that seemed to be discovered after the man and woman were married. And then a third principle in this passage would be that the man who gave his wife a bill of divorcement was not allowed to marry her again. Now look at verse number 2 of Deuteronomy chapter 24. And she leaves his house and goes and becomes another man's wife. And if the latter husband turns against her, and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of the house, or if the latter husband dies who took her to be his wife, notice verse 4, then, if then, her, her former husband who sent her away is not allowed to take her again to be his wife. And why isn't he? Since she has been defiled. For this is an abomination before the Lord, and you shall not bring sin on the land which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance. So the question would be in our minds, 
what defiled her? See, that would be the question. That's a hard question to answer. I'm going to try to answer that question with the scripture. See, she is defiled because either in the first case or in the second marriage, she was divorced or put away other than on scriptural grounds. For it says, then her former husband who sent her away is not allowed to take her again to be his wife since she has been defiled. Now she's defiled because she got remarried. See, this is the abomination before the Lord, and you should not bring sin on the land which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance. So, we have to examine the scripture at this point to find out what exactly defiles a person. All right, this is what I want you to take your Bible, and I want you to look at some passages. Now, go back to Leviticus chapter 19. Leviticus 19, in verse number 29. Some of the passages will be just a few. Some will be a little bit more lengthy, because I want you to see the context of how in the Old Testament and in the the law and in the second law, the Deuteronomy and Numbers, how they dealt with what makes a person defiled, what makes a person in marriage unclean, all right? Well, Leviticus chapter 19, verse 29, here's the first reason why someone would be defiled. A person can be defiled by harlotry, all right? Notice what it says. Do not, verse number 29 of Leviticus 19, do not profane your, your daughter by making her a harlot so that the land will not fall to harlotry and the land become full of lewdness. All right, so in that passage of Scripture, we see here that someone can be profaned or defiled because they have been given into a harlotry, prostitution, all right? Of course, that would be common and a given. Even today, we would think of that as quite unclean and inappropriate. All right, and then, of course, another passage in Leviticus, which I, you don't need to turn there, uh, but it, well, you could turn there because it's, it's really the next chapter, next couple chapters. Leviticus 21.7 says this, and they shall not take a woman who is profaned by harlotry. Now, this is uh, the Levitical priest could not take a, a woman who is profaned by harlotry, nor shall they take a woman divorced from her husband for he is a, for he is holy, for he is holy to his God. All right. So those priests were set apart. They had certain restrictions upon them, and so they only can marry a certain kind of woman, not a divorced one, not one who was given into any kind of harlotry. But the point being that a woman can be defiled by this sexual sin of prostitution or harlotry. All right. She would become unclean. All right. Now, a second passage I'd like you to turn to is Numbers chapter 5, verse 12 through 20, and then verse 27 through 29. Now, see, a second reason why someone would be defiled would be a person can be defiled by adultery, which would be uncleanness too. All right. Now, this is an adult. Now, this is adultery could have happened, or this adultery may not have happened. And here's the test. 
in Scripture. If you notice in Numbers chapter 5, verse 12, it says, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, If any man's wife goes astray and is unfaithful to him, and a man has intercourse with her, and is hidden, and it is hidden from his eyes, the eyes of her husband, and she is undetected, although she has defiled herself, and there is no witnesses against her, and she has not been caught in the act, verse 14, if a spirit of jealousy comes over him, and he is jealous of his wife when she has defiled herself, or if a spirit of jealousy comes over him, and he is jealous of his wife when she has not defiled herself, Verse 15, the man shall then bring his wife to the priest and shall bring as an offering for her one-tenth of an ephah of barley meal. She shall not, she, he shall not pour oil on it nor put frankincense on it, for it is a grain offering of jealousy, a grain offering of memorial, a reminder of iniquity. Then the priest shall bring her near and have her stand before the Lord, and the priest shall take holy water in an earthen vessel and shall take some of the dust that is on the floor of the tabernacle and put it in the water. And the priest shall then have the woman, verse 18, stand before the Lord and let the hair of the woman's head go loose and place the grain offering of memorial in her hands, which is the grain offering of jealousy. And in the hand of the priest is to be the water of bitterness that brings a curse. Verse 19, The priest shall have her take an oath and shall say to the woman, If no man has lain with you, and if you have not gone astray in uncleanness, being under the authority of your husband, be immune to this water of bitterness that brings a curse. Verse 20, it says, If you, however, have gone astray, being under the authority of your husband, and if you have defiled yourself, there's that word, defiled yourself, and a man other than your husband had had intercourse with you. Let's go go down to verse 27. When he has made her drink the water, then it shall come about, if she has defiled herself and has been unfaithful to her husband, that the water will bring, which brings a curse, will go into her and cause bitterness, and her abdomen will swell and her thigh will waste away, and the woman will become a curse among the people. In other words, she will not be able to have children, which is a great curse in Israel. All right, look at verse number 28. But if the woman had not defiled herself and is clean, she will be free and conceive children. Verse 29 This is the law of jealousy when a wife being under the authority of her husband goes astray and defiles herself. So in other words, what I'm saying is that to establish what exactly defiles a person in a marriage, I would have to say, first of all, it is either harlotry or prostitution or it is adultery, right? Some uncleanness that happened in the life of the couple, all right? There is a third Uh, scripture I would like you to turn to in Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 13 through 21. A third reason a person can be defiled is if the person 
can be charged with shameful deeds, all right, that fall in the area of premarital sex where the woman was found not to be a virgin after she got married. All right, notice in verse 14 or verse 13, it says, if any man, this is, let me just, Deuteronomy 22, verse 14 or 13. If any man takes a wife and goes into her and then turns against her and charges her with with shameful deeds and publicly defames her and says, I took this woman, but when I came near her, I did not find her a virgin. Verse 15, then the girl's father and her mother shall take and bring out the evidence of the girl's virginity to the elders of the city at the gate. The girl's father shall say to the elders, I gave my daughter to this man for a wife, but he turned against her. And behold, he has charged her with shameful deeds, saying, I did not find your daughter a virgin, but this is the evidence of my daughter's virginity. And they shall spread the garment before the elders of the city. Verse 18, so the elders of that city shall take the man and chastise him, and they shall find him a hundred shekels of silver and give it to the girl's father because he publicly defamed the virgin of Israel, and she shall remain his wife. He cannot divorce, divorce her all his days. But if this charge is true, verse 20, that the girl was not found a virgin, then they shall bring out the girl to the doorway of her father's house and the men of her city shall stone her to death death, because she has committed an act of folly in Israel by playing the harlot in her father's house. Thus, you shall purge the evil from among you. And then there's another passage in uh, Deuteronomy, actually down at verse number 22, another reason why a person could be defiled. And of course, that would be again by committing adultery after one is married, uh, committing premarital sex before one is married, and it's found out within the marriage. It says in verse 22, if a man is found lying with a married woman, then both of them shall die, the man who laid with the woman and the woman, thus you shall purge evil from Israel. Pretty strong stuff. In fact, after David, King David, committed adultery with Bathsheba, who was not his wife, he was supposed to have gone out to war. He didn't. He stayed back. He saw a woman bathing. He called for her because he was the king. He could do that kind of stuff. And he took her to himself. He had a sexual encounter with her. Uh, and, of course, we know that she became pre uh, pregnant. Uh, he sent her husband to the hottest part of the battle, Uriah. He died. So David committed some pretty pretty uh, gross sins there. But it says in Scripture that after she had the sexual encounter, she went to purify herself of her uncleanness. In other words, she was defiled in that adulterous relationship by another man. So, it would be reasonable to conclude that the defilement was some sexual sin that brought this uncleanness. Now, that means that if a divorce takes place, 
for other than one reason, sexual sin. And why is that? Because sexual sin breaks marital oneness. Jesus has been talking about that in in Mark. The divorce is illegitimate. So then if a person remarries, they commit adultery. All right, so if that keeps happening, all right, keep, people keep writing the, uh, a divorce uh, certificate without some kind of sexual sin, all right, that person's uh, oneness was not broken, and so therefore that person goes out now and they marry someone else, they actually commit adultery, all right? So that is in the mind of what is being said in the Gospel of Mark. All right, now, I'm not going to go there this week, but I'm going to pick it up next week. Not, not here, but I'm not, I'm not finished yet. Let's go back to Mark chapter 10 again. I just want to set up where all that thought came from and why the Pharisees asked the question, about a man putting away his wife in divorce. All right, because in Mark chapter 10, verse 5 and 6, Jesus reviewed, all right, here's a review of what Jesus taught originally. See, first, before we look at the passage, Jesus appeals to the authority and sufficiency of what is already, what already has been written in Scripture concerning God's Remember, original blueprints for marriage. All right, that is what I said last time. And when we met in the text, when Jesus answers the Pharisees, he appeals to the authority and sufficiency of the word of God, specifically what Moses taught in Genesis. That's the book of beginnings. What Moses taught neither gave command nor liberty to do anything you wanted to do. In other words, to put away your wife for any old reason. There had to be a specific reason. And I'm saying that specific reason is sexual sin. Period. All right. So what did the Lord teach? Because the Lord's correcting a false interpretation of the perversion of what's been going on in the religious realm, in the political realm, in the in the social realm, and it's looked back to verse number 5 of chapter 10 of Mark, and Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female, so the Lord is going back to the original creation. The original blueprints for marriage included at least three things about the marriage relationship. First, the marriage is a relationship whereby the husband and wife are rendered one flesh, all right? It says it in verse number 7, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, and the two shall become one flesh, so that they are no longer two but one, and that's very important in this text. That is God's original intention in marriage before man fell into sin. A second thing about marriage is that marriage is a permanent relationship. Verse number 9, what therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. It is supposed to be in sickness and in health and richer and in, or for poorer, for better, for worse, till death 
do us part. That's what it's supposed to be. So the Lord's disciples, remember, are those who are to look upon marriage as an irrevocable, indissoluble, and a permanent union that must be fixed in their mind before they can go on in ministry. If they're going to correct all this wrong teaching that's been in the land, they have to purge this evil out of the land. It was a union that neither they nor anyone else should break. Now, if you think of your marriage as a gift from God and realize it is a permanent relationship uh, that will not be broken, then there will be a distinct difference on how you care for your marriage. You're going to take much better care of it if you think that way. A third thing is that marriage is a holy relationship. And why is it holy? Because God, what God designed it, all right, and what God joined together, once a person, a woman, a man and woman are joined together, and now they're joined together, together by covenant before the eyes of God and before the eyes of people, and they're joined together by consummation, by the sexual union, right? In that, they become one flesh, no longer two, but one. So this oneness is predominant in this passage of Scripture. That oneness, according to Scripture, let God, with God join together, let no man separate. Why? Because marriage is holy because it has been designed and purposed by God for the good of humanity. All right? For many reasons, not only for having children, but for satisfying sexual desire, uh, for being a picture of how Christ loved the church, all right? And several other reasons why God designed this institution. But because of the hardness of the Israelites' hearts, Moses allowed them to put away their wives. Now, sometimes we forget what it is that causes divorce. But the Bible makes it very clear the reason is it, uh, for divorce is sin. And, of course, the sin is referred to here as hard-heartedness. All right? Now, it is only Christ who by his shed blood can rid us of sin to bring people together again. Um, God's purpose for us in this world is that we might be holy in order that we might be happy. Uh, so the Lord really sets apart this institution as something that is very special, not only for before his eyes, but for us and before the eyes of other people who look on. So God is at work in our marriages. But I said last time, too easily, we want to flee from the situation. We, want, we are ready to take all the rough edges we, we all bring into our marriages and run away from them. But God is saying to us, no, he, he is at work in our lives, and there are some rough edges in our lives right now that God is using uh, your spouse to rub down, and it hurts. But don't run. Give yourself to it because God is sanctifying you in your marriage and making your marriage holy. A second thing that Jesus is doing, not only did he give the blueprints of the original creation of marriage, but a second thing he is doing is he's correcting the false understanding of the Pharisees. 
See, Moses had indeed been divinely directed to allow divorce in the case of uncleanness. But uncleanness, according to the Old Testament, is some sexual immorality. See, sexual immorality is the uncleanness or the indecency in the Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1 passage of Scripture, where it says when a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, this indecency is sexual immorality. In fact, Jesus interprets, I believe, this indecency as pornea. That is, the, that is from the exception clause recorded in Matthew chapter 5, verse 32, and Matthew chapter 19, verse number 9. In other words, sexual immorality is the uncleanness and indecency of Deuteronomy chapter 24. So that means if the marriage union, union is not broken, if it is only bro- it, it, if the marriage union is not broken by continuous ongoing sexual immorality and a person is put away for any other reason besides that and then that person remarries they commit adultery all right so she was given a certificate of divorce but her being defiled shows that she was de- dismissed for some something other than pornea. It is an illegitimate divorce, and the marriage un- union is not broken. It is only broken if the other remarries, adultery is committed, and defilement occurs. Now, Moses permitted divorce for one reason, sexual sin. It's not for any old reason, all right? It is the only sin. Why is that? It's the only sin that breaks the oneness in marriage. It is the only sin that breaks the union of the marriage. So that's what he's getting at here. Now, what we don't find in the Gospel of Mark is we do not find the exception clause, all right? And the reason why it's not here, well, it's not here is because, remember, Mark is laying out the general rule for serious disciples. Marriage is a permanent institution. When you get married, stay married, right? All right, and for the reasons that I had already given. So the reason why Mark and Luke are only giving the general principle is because that Jesus is impressing upon his disciples the serious matter of being called a Christian and having a strong marriage that should be in our minds, especially when we are thinking about getting married and looking for something to to be married, that we don't marry just any old person, but we marry someone who is serious about discipleship also, of course, both being Christians. Now, I want to look at very quickly and end it there this morning and pick it up next week because I didn't deal with the exception clause because it's not here in Mark. 
but I will deal with it next week. But I do want to at least show you where I'm going. And just to end also next time with some not only encouragement for those who have gone through divorce and maybe up for other than biblical reasons, uh, just to share with you some of that. And then next week I also want to present to the young people that if you're going to look for somebody to marry, I'm going to give you some characteristics to look for, both in the woman and in the man, from the Word of God, all right? I'm going to do that next week. So you have a great chance when you get married that you won't get a divorce. And we all know divorce is very painful. It is very destructive to the couple, to children, to everything. It just never goes away. And so I thank the Lord in this respect that he died for that sin too. And that sin can be forgiven. But I do say this. Once we do have the correct knowledge of what marriage is, we ought to stick by it. We ought to live it ourselves. And if somebody comes along and asks us, what does God say about marriage? This is what he says. When you get married, you're married for life. And because it becomes a relationship and a connection between you and uh, a man and a woman and before God, and that nobody should break that. You shouldn't break it. No one else should break it because God has brought you together. Now, saying that, I do want you to take your Bibles and turn to two passages of Scripture, Matthew chapter 5, verse 32. And I'll pick, after I am conclude here, I'll pick this up next week. And before I look at the passage, there are four views one may hold on divorce and remarriage. The first one is this. Divorce and remarriage are okay for virtually any reason. Now, that was the view of the day. All right? That is the view today, at least in our culture. But that is not the view we should have. A second view is this. Both divorce and remarriage are forbidden under all circumstances. Well, that may be the case if these exception clause, this exception clause was not here, but it's not the case. So I can't hold to that one either. A third view is divorce is permissible under certain circumstances, but remarriage is forbidden. Again, we're going to find out from the Word of God that uh, usually when a divorce is given correctly, and that a person can remarry, all right? I'm going to deal with that next week. So I really can't take the third view either. So here's the fourth view, and this is the view I take, that divorce and remarriage are both permitted, but only under certain, a certain circumstance, all right? Now, there are three biblical grounds for divorce, and or remarriage, and of course, I'm going to give you those grounds, but I want to end with this. Let's look at our passage, all right, because the first ground for a divorce is, I'm going to say it like this, habitual, unrepentant, hard-hearted immorality. 
And it says this in verse number, Matthew chapter 5, verse 32. It says, but I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except for the cause of unchastity, makes her commit adultery. Now, why is that? Let me just back up again so I, I just keep in your mind. I want you to be confused about this. All right? The reason why here's the, is because unrepentant, hard-hearted adultery and immorality break the oneness in marriage. You get that? It breaks the oneness in marriage. All right, so that means that the old, Jesus gives the exception here in Matthew that, listen, if someone gets divorced, the only reason is for habitual, unrepented, hard-hearted fornication or immorality. If a person gets divorced for any other reason than that, of course, other than the ones that we're going to look at in the New Testament next week, it says it makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So you have rampant adultery going on because a person was not divorced for the right biblical reasons. All right, now, look at Matthew chapter 19, verse number 9. It says this. Matthew 19, 9. It says, and I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, here it is again, Except for, now he says, instead of unchastity, immorality, and marries another woman, commits adultery. So in other words, the only exception Jesus gave for breaking the marriage union is an unrepentant, hard-hearted immorality. All right? So that means if we go back to what he says in uh, the Gospel of Mark, in what Jesus directly said to his disciples. In other words, he says actually the same thing without mentioning the exception clause is because that when a person, all right, gets divorced, all right, they would be all right uh, if they never got remarried. But if they were divorced for other than unrepentant sexual immorality, and they stayed unmarried, they would be fine. But if they were not divorced for that particular sin, it would, could have been any other, other thing and got married again, then adultery would be committed. And so that would be rampant adultery. So if somebody gets divorced, get remarried, divorce, remarried, it's just rampant adultery. The, the Lord says, no, it's not what I intended. It's only because of the hardness of heart of the man's heart that happens. So in other words, if you're going to be a serious disciple, don't let that thinking get in your mind. It's very destructive. So the exception clause is not only for divorce, but for remarriage. That if a person was biblically divorced, they could get married without the stigma of entering into an adulterous relationship. And what is true of the husband is also true of the wife. Yes, originally, 
the penalty for adultery was death. However, because of the hardness of people's hearts, God allowed Moses to spare the adulterer's life by allowing a certificate of divorce. So God, in his mercy, provided divorce instead of death. You get that? Or people would still be getting stoned for adultery. All right, now, I'm going to leave it there, but I am not done, so make no conclusions yet. The only conclusion you could make is that what Jesus was saying in Mark and what Moses said in Deuteronomy, that that uncleanness was sexual immorality, and that was the only reason to put away your wife, not for any reason. That was the reason. All right, so next week, there's two other reasons the Bible brings up in Scripture that gives someone the permission to not only get divorced, but to get remarried. And those three would be the only ones found in Scripture. Any other besides that would be an unbiblical divorce and, of course, an unbiblical marriage. All right? So I'm going to pick that up next week, so you have to be back here. All right, next week. I didn't intend to do that, but we ran out of time. Let's pray. Lord, I do thank you this morning for the great institute of marriage, Lord. And I know, Lord, actually we need the same correction today that the disciples needed back then. Lord, some people have gotten saved and come into the church and and they have a view of marriage and of relationships that are totally, it's totally off and totally sinful. Lord, we know that from Scripture, you're bringing us all back to your original blueprints. And Lord, if it's not your church who displays what a marriage is, then who else is going to do it? So I pray, Lord, whatever circumstance we find ourselves today, I pray from this day forward that our thinking would be changed about how you view marriage. And it would be changed to, in such a way that would, would the marriage that we're in right now, we would make sure that we're going to stay in it and we're going to fight for it and we're going to keep it and we're going to keep it honoring and growing before the Lord. And I pray, Lord, for our young people that they would have the discernment that when they look for someone to marry, it won't be just for what the world says, looks and the sexual thing and all the uncleanness and corruption that goes into that, but they would be able to have a criteria on who they're going to marry. And that criteria would not only be clear, but it would be biblical. And it would be something that they can check off when it comes to the person that they're going to be cemented to the rest of their life, because I pray that once we get cemented, that we would stay cemented. And I pray that from this day forward, you would strengthen our marriages. And Lord, you would, you would allow us to change other people's minds about this institution. And I pray, Lord, that we would not take look at it, look at it so carelessly, but we would look at it as something serious, and something that we ought to look at soberly. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us the wherewithal and strength by the Spirit of God, your church, and your word to have the, the, 
to do whatever it takes to make our marriages strong until, Lord, our marriages continue to be a picture, at least begin to resemble a picture of how Christ loves the church. I pray that for us, Lord. Help us today. And I pray that you would strengthen us by your word from this day forward. I ask this in your precious name. Amen. Let's stand together.